Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome back to the Gospel Feast Podcast, Season 5. We're continuing our studies. Following in our sabbatical tradition, every seventh episode, we take questions from our listeners. This question comes from Isaac from St. George. What are your thoughts on the restoration and the return of the lost ten tribes, and how does their return fit into the events of the last days? I know that our author has written on this at length in his book, Ezra and the End of Days. What most modern Christians don't know is that these chapters of Ezra used to be in the Holy Bible, including in the King James Version, but they were removed in the 1600s. So, why did rabbis, Catholics, and the British royal family hide these chapters from you when they admitted that they were worthy and accurate Bible books? I suspect that we are about to find out. This repressed book of Ezra is one of our main sources for knowledge about the ultimate fate of the lost ten tribes. It is his witness, combined with modern revelation, 
that fills in the blanks of what happened to them and how their fate is our fate. This book takes on an extra special witness in connecting the saints of the latter days with the very house of Israel. Second Ezra 13.40 Those are the ten tribes, which were carried away prisoners out of their own land in the time of Osea the king, whom Salamanazar the king of Assyria led away captive. And he carried them over the waters, and so came they into another land. But they took this counsel among themselves, that they would leave the multitude of the heathen, and go forth into a further country, where never mankind dwelt, that they might there keep their statutes, which they never kept in their own land. Among those of his flock to come to him will be the missing ten tribes of Israel, the very same taken away by the Assyrians. Those who, when freed during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, decided not to return to their homeland in the land of Israel. There, in the midst of their pagan neighbors, they had never been righteous, but were always tempted by the wickedness of others. So they instead journeyed to a land where no man had dwelt before. There they would keep the law together. These will return. And they entered into Euphrates by the narrow places of the river. For the Most High then shewed signs for them, and held still the flood, till they were passed over. For through that country there was a great way to go, namely, of a year and a half, and the same region is called Arsharath. They had crossed over the Euphrates at one of its narrow points, following and watching the signs of their good shepherd Jehovah. He led them and even opened a way in the sea again for them to pass over. They had a very long journey to their new promised land. They walked for a year and a half. At last they found it in the land called Arsareth, which means mountain at the end of the world. Then dwelt they there until the latter time, and now when they shall begin to come. The highest shall stay the springs of the stream again, that they may go through. Therefore sawest thou the multitude with peace. But those that be left behind of thy people are they that are found within my borders. Now when he destroyeth the multitude of the nations that are gathered together, he shall defend his people that remain. And then shall he shew them great wonders. There they live until the latter days. But when it is time for their return, the Lord will open a passage through the seas again for them to pass. It will be as a new baptism and a new life for them. These are of the multitude greeted by the Lord in peace. As for the Jews who did not leave with their brother tribes, they shall return to my land, the one I gave to Abraham. The Son of God will save his kin of Judah when he destroys those marshaled in war against them. They will see the great wonders that he wasn't able to show them in the day of his meekness. Then said I, O Lord, that bearest rule, shew me this. Wherefore have I seen the man coming up from the midst of the sea? And he said unto me, Like as thou canst neither seek out nor know the things that are in the deep of the sea, even so can no man upon earth see my son 
or those that be with him, but in the daytime. This is the interpretation of the dream which thou sawest, and whereby thou only art here lightened. Thou hast forsaken thine own way, and applied thy diligence unto my law, and sought it. Thy life hast thou ordered in wisdom, and hast called understanding thy mother. And therefore have I shewed thee the treasures of the highest. After another three days I will speak other things unto thee, and declare unto thee mighty and wondrous things. Then went I forth into the field, giving praise and thanks greatly unto the Most High because of his wonders which he did in time. And because he governeth the same, and such things as fall in their seasons. And there I sat three days. Then I spoke, O great ruling Lord, show me more about this great warrior from the sea. So he said, Just as it is impossible for mortal man to comprehend the entirety of the ocean in its grandeur and depth, it is not possible for you in your fallen state to comprehend the things of God. This request will have to wait until the proper time. No man can behold my son's fullness and remain. And you have work yet to do. I believe the Lord has shown Ezra, John, the same that he told the saints in Doctrine and Covenants 133. Hold that thought for a moment. But note, this actually fits perfectly with the Lord's word to Nephi, preserved in 1 Nephi chapter 14, verses 18 to 29. Note very carefully verse 27. Again, how did the prophet Joseph Smith know this? Now I have explained this vision to you. It is one that you alone have seen. I endow you with this gift because you have not walked your own path. You have diligently done the good works I have commanded of you. You have sought me and found me. You have lived your life in wisdom and allowed my ways to nurture and teach you. This is the reason you were so highly favored and privy to my mysteries and treasured pearls. If you will continue here another three days, I will tell you more. So I went deeper into the field and praised the Lord my God greatly, thanking the Most High Father for the wonder and goodness of His Son. And because He rules and rules justly, Doing such, I stayed in the field three more days. Modern man struggles with the fantastic, but not with the stupid. We have no trouble suspending our disbelief when it comes to stupid superheroes with insect powers and X-ray vision. But we struggle with the concepts of Noah's flood, the confusion of the tongues, Jonah and the whale, and the resurrection of the Son of God. It is true that we hold one as make-believe, while the other is the very word of God. What astounds me is how some of us can quote the complete genealogy of some made-up space opera, down to the twelfth emperor of the Cyclonic Intergalactic Federation of Tatooine, but we don't know the words of the prophets. And when we hear some of them, we doubt their fantastical nature, because we don't really believe that with God nothing is impossible. Ezra is one of the major collaborators to the historical accounts of the escape of the Lost Ten Tribes from the Caucasus Mountains into Europe. When the Babylonian Empire began to threaten the power of the Assyrian throne, 
their plans to create a one-world government faltered. They had been determined to capture and relocate various peoples, mixing them into a unity of diversity under the rule of a single Zoroastrian, Luciferian, Mahanist Antichrist. The Lord overruled their plans by raising up Nebuchadnezzar. Assyria soon felt the heat of the mighty king of Babylon and called their troops home to defend their faltering empire. Left unguarded, the ten tribes, called the Kingdom of Israel, decided to go home. Along the way they reasoned that the only way to be true to the God of their fathers, the true God of the universe, was to find a place where they could separate themselves from the insanity of the nations. Remember that Gentile means the nations. They petitioned the Lord, and He answered them. He told their prophets that if they would follow Him through the lands of Japheth northward, He would take them to a new place that would be theirs alone. As they traveled through Europe, the tribe of Ephraim fell away piece by piece, marrying into the various houses of Japheth. In this, they fulfilled the promise of Noah that Japheth and Shem would merge, and fulfill the promise of Father Israel to Joseph that his tribe would someday be huge. The children of Shem were redder in skin tone than the children of Japheth, who were very white. The sign of Noah's promise was seen in the speckled, meaning freckled, children that this merger produced. Now, this is not to say if you don't have freckles that you're not a Semitic Japhethite. Some of us do have them, and some of us don't have them. But the sign that the promise was fulfilled is seen in the freckled sons and daughters of Europe. You may know that some of these kids, wishing that they didn't have freckles, are told by their parents that these are the kisses of the angels blessing them. Hey, whatever floats your goat. Joseph Smith said that Ephraimite blood took over these houses, but that it was most highly concentrated in the Danish, Scandinavian, Norman, Great Britain, Normandy, and the Germanic clans of Europe. These intermarried into the other houses of Europe that were more Latin-based, and today the blood of Ephraim can be found far and wide throughout Europe. As a quick side note, I was fortunate to be taught the secrets of genealogical research by one of the masters of the craft, Galen Pedersen. Using his methods, I was able in time to connect some of my family lines back to Ephraim through Europe via the rabbis, so I know of myself that Ephraim's merger with Europe is indeed true. Ephraim is, of course, the son of Joseph of Egypt. These connections further prove the words of ancient and living prophets and patriarchs who have made such claims prophetically, including on my own head. The prophet Joseph had more to say about this off the record. One of the more dynamic accounts concerning Joseph Smith's view on the Lost Ten Tribes is an old interview with church patriarch Homer M. Brown, formerly of the Utah Granite Stake, by Brother Theodore Tobiason in October 1924. The account today resides in the historical department of the LDS Church in Salt Lake City. Patriarch Brown was a grandson of Benjamin and Sister Brown, who often sheltered Joseph Smith from his enemies in Nauvoo, Illinois, in the 1840s. Brother Tobiason asked, Brother Brown, 
Will you give us some light and explanation on the fifth verse of page 386 of the LDS hymn book, which speaks of the ten tribes of Israel on a part of this earth, which was formed from another planet? According to a hymn of Sister Eliza R. Snow, a hymn that she wrote to be sung with the common meter. You can find this in Sacred Hymns and Spiritual Songs for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, hymn number 386 of the 1871 14th edition. Let's use the most famous common meter hymn to illustrate how this might have sounded. Thou earth was once a glorious sphere of noble magnitude, and didst with majesty appear among the worlds of God. But thy dimensions have been torn asunder piece by piece, and each dismembered fragment bore abroad to distant space. And when the Lord saw fit to hide the lost ten tribes away, thou earth was severed to provide the orb on which they stay. Our restitution yet must come, that will to thee restore, by that grand law of worlds thy sum of matter heretofore. And thou, O earth, will leave the track that thou hast doomed to trace. The gods with shout will bring thee back to fill thy native place. Yes, sir, I think I can answer your question, the patriarch said. Sister Eliza R. Snow, in visiting my grandparents, was asked by my grandmother, Eliza, where did you get your ideas about the Lost Ten Tribes being taken away, as you explain in your wonderful hymn we sing? She answered as follows, Why, my husband Joseph the Prophet told me about it. Have you any other information that your grandfather ever gave you, as contained in any conversation with the Prophet Joseph Smith? I have. One evening in Nauvoo, just after dark, somebody rapped at the doorway vigorously. Grandfather said he was reading the Doctrine and Covenants. He rose hurriedly and answered the summons at the door, where he met the Prophet Joseph Smith. The Prophet said, Brother Brown, can you keep me overnight? The mobs are after me. Grandfather answered, Yes, sir. It will not be the first time. Come in. All right, the prophet said, shutting the door quickly. He came in and sat down. My grandmother said, Brother Joseph, have you had your supper? No, he answered, I have not. So she prepared him a meal, and he ate it. Afterward, they were in conversation relative to the principles of the restored gospel. During the conversation, the lost ten tribes were mentioned. Grandfather said, Joseph, where are the ten tribes? He said, Come to the door, and I will show you. Come on, Sister Brown, I want you both to see. It being a starlit night, the prophet said, Brother Brown, can you show me the polar star? Yes, sir, he said, pointing to the north star. There it is. Yes, I know, said the prophet, but which one? There are a lot of stars there. Grandfather said, Can you see the points of the dipper? The prophet answered, Yes. Well, he said, Trace the pointers, pointing up to the largest star. That is the North Star. The prophet answered, You are correct. Now, he said, pointing toward the star, 
Do you discern a little twinkler to the right and below the polar star, which we would judge to be about the distance of twenty feet from here? Grandfather said, Yes, sir. The prophet said, Sister Brown, do you see that star also? Her answer was, Yes, sir. Very well, then, he said. Let's go back in. After re-entering the house, the prophet said, Brother Brown, I noticed when I came in that you were reading the Doctrine and Covenants. Will you kindly get it? He did so, and the prophet turned to section 133 and read, commencing at the 26th verse and throughout to the 34th verse. D&C 133.26 And they who are in the north countries shall come in remembrance before the Lord, and their prophets shall hear his voice, and shall no longer stay themselves, and they shall smite the rocks, and the ice shall flow down at their presence. And an highway shall be cast up in the midst of the great deep. Their enemies shall become a prey unto them. And in the barren deserts there shall come forth pools of living water, and the parched ground shall no longer be a thirsty land. And they shall bring forth their rich treasures unto the children of Ephraim, my servants. And the boundaries of the everlasting hills shall tremble at their presence. And there shall they fall down and be crowned with glory, even in Zion, by the hands of the servants of the Lord, even the children of Ephraim. And they shall be filled with songs of everlasting joy. Behold, this is the blessing of the everlasting God upon the tribes of Israel and the richer blessing upon the head of Ephraim and his fellows. The prophet said, after reading the thirty-first verse, Now let me ask you, what would cause the everlasting hills to tremble with more violence than the coming together of two planets? And the place whereon they reside will return to this earth. Now scientists will tell you that that is not scientific, that two planets coming together would be disastrous to both. But, when two planets or other objects are traveling in the same direction, and one of them with a little greater velocity than the other, it would not be disastrous, because the one traveling faster would overtake the other. Now what would cause the mountains of ice to melt quicker than the heat caused by the friction of the two planets coming together? The prophet then asked, Did you ever see a meteor falling that was not red-hot? that would cause the mountains of ice to melt. And relative to the great highway which should be cast up when the planet returns to its place in the great northern waters, it will form a highway, and waters will recede and roll back. He continued, Now, as to their coming back from the northern waters, they will return from the north, because their planet will return to the place from whence it was taken. Relative to the waters rolling back to the north, if you take a vessel of water and swing it rapidly around your head, you won't spill any. But if you stop the motion gradually, it will begin to pour out. Now, he said, Brother Brown, at the present time, this earth is rotating very rapidly. When the ten tribes' planet returns, it will make the earth that much heavier, and it will then revolve slower. And that will account for the waters receding from the earth for a great while but has now turned and is proceeding rapidly eastward. If the Brown family and Eliza R. Snow's testimony is not enough, Brother Charles Walker, 
also heard such statements at a separate time. Independently, he visited Sister Eliza Snow one night and asked her about the dividing of the earth in former times. He recorded the following in his journal. March 10, 1881. At night, paid Sister Eliza R. Snow a short visit and had some conversation with her on the dividing of the earth. She told me that she had heard the prophet say that when the ten tribes were taken away, the Lord cut the earth in two. Joseph striking his left hand in the center with the edge of his right to illustrate the idea, and that they were on an orb or planet by themselves. And when they returned with the portion of this earth that was taken away with them, the coming together of these two bodies or orbs would cause a shock and make the earth reel to and fro like a drunken man. She also stated that he said the earth was now ninety times smaller than when first created or organized. We can also add that Ezra tells us the name of the place where the ten tribes were taken by the Lord. He calls it the land of Arzareth, but that is the English word for it. In Hebrew, it is Harzareth or Harseraph, which means angelic mountain at the end of the world. Those who have studied the Gospel Feast series books, volumes 7 through 9 on Genesis, will remember that Joseph Smith said to Philo Dibble that the earth was created in a barbelling set of three. You know, Peter, I have the drawing that was done on this by Philo Dibble. Let's put it on the website so people can see. It was this image in the sky that the Greeks referred to as Atlas, holding up the world on his shoulders. It is also the secret to the ancient Hebrew letter Gayan, which was anciently called the signature of Elohim. It became our letter Q. You know, Peter, let's post some of this on our website so people can see it. www.gospelfeastbooks.com Look for the podcast section. You should know that there is more on all of this about the end of days in our author's book, Ezra and the End of Days. It is a side feast called Volume A. This book, and every other book in the Gospel Feast series, is available on Amazon in various formats. Our next question and answer episode will be episode 84. So please get your questions in. We look forward to continuing our feast into the book of Ezekiel. And until next time, remember the moral of Ezekiel. Soon all will know the Lord. A very special thank you to Hollywood actor Andrew Koyama for his voice, Talents. Music